Twitter. I'm Isaac Fitzgerald. He is Saeed Jones. It is finally Friday, and you are watching AM to DM. Can't believe that we made it. Well, Jay-Z and Beyonce accepted the Vanguard Award last night from GLAAD. Let's take a look. Choose who you love is your human right. How you identify and see yourself is your human right. Who you make love to and take that ass to Red Lobster. That is right. I will centrally feed whoever I want Cheddar Bay Biscuits. Mmm, delicious. What a love language there. But it was. It was a beautiful night. It was a beautiful speech. Jay-Z talked about, you know... um, His mom coming out His mom coming out on 444 on Smile, obviously. Beyonce kind of talking about... Uh, you know, her uncle Johnny, somebody that helped raise her and Solange, and, and watching him battle HIV and what that meant to her. She called him this glamorous gay man that she loved. Um, so it was it was, a, it was a really heartfelt night. It was really good stuff. And yeah. I mean, you know, listen, we need joy. We need straight people doing their job to stand up as allies and, and be there for us. Shit is real out here, people, okay? And there are a lot of states where you can still get fired uh, for being out and LGBT. There are still too many states where it is legal to put your kids into gay conditions version therapy. So it's it's great to see them celebrated. It was also great to see uh, Shangela have her moment to shine <laughs> in front of Queen Bee and yeah. Jay-Z. Like, she's been ready for this. It was So t- tell me about that, because okay. she has performed a lot of lip syncs well, for Well, first of all, Shangela's been doing Beyonce lip syncs for like, you know, a decade or so now. She's got it. She's okay. got it down. But also, I felt like this was a nice, I mean, she's been killing it. You know, of course, A Star is Born, getting to perform alongside Lady Gaga. Like, that's a nice box to check. Yeah. But also seeing her get to lip sync in front of Beyonce, after like everything that happened on RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars, justice for Shangela has been achieved. <laughs> has been achieved because yes. Beyonce was here for it. Yes. Here's a tweet from Variety's Mark Malkin. This is Beyonce and Jay-Z giving Shangela a standing ovation after Shangela did a lip sync for your life medley of Beyonce songs. So that is it. amazing. Like you said, building up to it. Really good. That's it. I would be stressed. Mm. Like it's one thing to do incredible lip syncs. Sure. To cover Beyonce. Sure. It's another thing to have Beyonce right there. Could you imagine you're like doing it and you're looking and Beyonce's looking at you? Like that's stressful. I guess I get, it is stressful. I also just feel like like this is a moment that Shangela was born for. I mean, how many times has my girl had to lip sync in front of RuPaul? You know, and like Lady Gaga, you know, like this is just kind of she is an ascendant star, you know. That said, scary as shit. <laughs> you know, Beyonce's like, wait, uh-uh, where's the dip? Okay, I need it. I love it. Would be in my head. That's well, let's take our anxiety to the timeline. Uh, would you perform a lip sync of Beyonce songs in front? of Beyonce, or would you just be like, ma'am, the stage is yours, okay? Um, And so, also, which bangers would you choose, right? It was interesting to see what song she picked last night. Let us know using the hashtag. I would need six months of training, 12 trainers, a different body. (laughs) There'd be a lot of stretching. A lot. There'd be a lot of stretching. Ooh, girl, even just the idea. Okay. Well, here's another truly lovely story, Uh, and we've got a tweet about it from Shannon Keating. I spent some time getting to know this incredible family. One husband husband's sister donated her eggs, and the other husband's 61-year-old mom offered to carry their baby. A couple of days ago, Grandma gave birth to sweet little Uma. And here's a tweet from the uh, uh, about the family from BuzzFeed Reader. 
People didn't understand at first. Matthew Elledge told Shannon Keating about his 61-year-old mother acting as a surrogate to carry his new baby daughter. But once they do, they're ridiculously supportive. They think it's radical and amazing. It's so good, and there's one of the photos there. I love, love. Uh, Shannon Keating, the editor of BuzzFeed LGBT, reported on the story and joins us now. Shannon, good morning. Good morning. Hi. Hi. Okay, so let's get into this. Introduce us to this family, basically. Who are the people who brought baby Uma into the world this week. So this family is a gay couple from Omaha, Nebraska, Matthew and Elliot, and they were considering how to start building their family. And Elliot's sister graciously offered to donate her eggs. And the couple were thinking about looking into getting a surrogate, but it's really expensive and complicated for a variety of ways. And Matthew's mom was like, well, hey, I loved being pregnant. Like, what about me? And the couple thought that she was just joking, but after the mom, Cecile, went in to get some tests done, she turned out to be super incredibly healthy and doctors deemed that she would be fit to carry a baby. Okay, and can you talk, can you break that science down just a little bit more for me? She was postmenopausal, yeah. 61 years old, mm -hmm. and she's totally healthy, totally ready to carry a baby. Yep. Yeah, no, it's crazy, though. Her her doctor, Dr. Doherty in Omaha, made sure to clarify that not just any six-year-old could do this. Like, they need to really be in tip-top shape. And But if they are, all it takes is a little bit of estrogen and progesterone. And Cecile, at 61, started getting her period again after 10 years, got a period a couple times, and then her uterus was ready to go, ready to accept a baby. The body is an incredible, incredible organism. Really? Um, what surprised you the most over the course of this reporting? I think what surprised me the most is that once you get over, like, kind of the initial shock of how incredible this story is, like, just physically and physiologically, I was so shocked and heartwarmed to see the incredible love between this family and this, this couple who were kind of going into uncharted territory here. Only a few women Cecile's age around the world have been able to do this. Um, but Cecile just really wanted to do it out of love, to give her son a child and expand their family. And Elliot's sister offered her eggs. And also, I was heartwarmed to learn that Two of the couple's friend, one of the couple's friends, uh, was stockpiling her breast milk while she was having a baby, so that Uma could have breast milk when she was born. Mm -hmm. And it was just very lovely to see this gay couple is just so heartwarmed and happy to have this wonderful community of women surrounding them, especially in some place like Nebraska, which isn't always, you know, super gay friendly. Right. right. And let's talk about that for a minute, because that's what this is to me. This is family values. This is beautiful and it is family values. Um, but Matthew and Elliot, in your piece, you kind of talk, they, they face some workplace discrimination. Could you talk a little bit about that? They did. Yeah. A few years ago, Matthew was actually fired from his Catholic school when he told uh, school administrators where he taught. He told school administrators that um, he was planning to marry Elliot. Um, and that definitely smarted the couple a little bit. And when they were considering starting their family, they were wondering, do we really want to raise a family here? Mm -hmm. um, but I think that because they have such a strong community, which is, they said, part of Nebraska values, they decided that that's where they wanted to raise their family and just give vision to a part of the country that might not be familiar with untraditional families to give them this like beautiful, loving model. Absolutely. It's not insignificant that this is taking place in Nebraska. Um, well, of course, this story hits everyone here at BuzzFeed. Of course, we are all talking about it. It's heartfelt. I'm seeing people at their desk this morning reading it um, in the office as they come in. Um, what are some notable responses you've gotten to the story since it went live overnight? 
So since it went live, we have gotten a ton of responses. Um, and I mean, I think you get the normal kind of like MAGA crowd who's just out to yell at gay people. Um, you've got people who are confused and clearly haven't read the story, wondering if this is incest. That's something that the couple had to deal with and to be like, no, no, no. The details work out here. Um, but overwhelmingly, the response has been so positive, and people are just so happy that baby Uma isn't only going to have a mom and a dad, but a grandma and an aunt and a whole community that loves her. It's oh. lovely. It's really beautiful. It, just to me, it underscores that sometimes your blood family can also be your chosen family, mm. which is very beautiful. Mm. Shannon, thank you so much for this story. Yeah, thank you. I love it. Well, listen, before we move on, we wanted to highlight this story from BuzzFeed News reporter Amber Jamison. Suicides in Parkland have the community in crisis mode. Yeah, Amber tweeted this. I'm in Parkland reporting on the community's response to two recent suicides of student survivors of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas shooting. Statistically, we knew this was coming, Lori Alhadef, whose daughter Alyssa died in the shooting, told Amber. Yeah, so Amber has embedded with the community down in Florida, has been reporting from there for the week. And here's the thing, it's an incredible story. Yes. We're gonna tweet it out, we encourage you to read it. But we realize it's such a complex story that we didn't wanna just jam it into a five minute conversation. Right, and we also wanted to be very thoughtful about how we, as a news show, as a newsroom, cover and discuss suicide. Um, and so we're of course gonna share the suicide prevention phone number. If you need that resource, please reach out. There are people to support you in your time of need. But yeah, this is an excellently thoughtfully reported story, and so we wanted to be sure to share it with you um, so that you can read it in a way that works for you. Yep, and if you ever, of course, need help, don't be afraid to ask for it. Absolutely. Well, friends, it is Friday, and we have another great show for you this morning. Actor Sindhil Ramamurthy is here. I'm excited to talk to him, but up next is Fire Tweets. <laughs> Welcome back. You ready to get in these fire yeah, tweets? Let us. Let's do it. Rax King, you tweeted, me seeing two big dogs together. Nice. Me seeing two little dogs together. Good stuff. Me seeing one big dog and one little dog together. The little one gets into scrapes, mischief, trouble, and the big one has to help like a protector. Is this your burner account? It's my, <laughs> me, man. I love the so idea. Real. The little dog rides the big dog yeah, sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> the, the big dog's just like, he, oh, God damn it, we got to do this again. The little dog's really into it. <laughs> you know what this also makes me think of? There's that video that every once in a while it makes its way back to the timeline of a cat Mm -hmm. There's a bunch of animals, but a cat's about to get in a fight with another cat. And a big dog, I think it's a golden retriever, actually picks up the cat and pulls away like, it's not <laughs> worth it. Come on. Come on. We can't do this. We've talked about this. That's totally I would watch like 700 Homeward Bound-esque movies. That's all I'm saying. Absolutely. But with a happier ending than Homeward ooh, Bound, because that movie ooh, fucked me up ooh, in elementary ooh, school. Ooh, ooh, Triggered. Okay. This right. next tweet comes from Rachel. <laughs> Rachel tweeted, Anna Delvey looks better in court facing grand larceny charges than she ever did living in a living in Eleven Howard, art princessing Great Walk. Well, uh, girl, that's that's just called the power of white femininity in the criminal justice system. That's, that's what that she said. A lot of people got into trouble. You know, she she took advantage of a lot of people. That said, she has hired a stylist, and BuzzFeed yes. News actually has like an exclusive mm -hmm. interview. With the style, Styles didn't say how much she was getting paid, but Anna or Delvey, who's paying her? I don't know why this comes as a surprise that Anna Delvey is the type of person that can see this as an opportunity. It's just, scammers don't stop scamming. And it's also a thin line. I gotta say this, there's, somebody mentioned it when this story, because we talked about it on the show yeah. a lot, mm -hmm. kind of how she was 
maybe just a few weeks from like two years later, mm -hmm. being on Long Island, being like, well, we went through some hard times, but now my art institute has finally oh, made right. it. She could have pulled it off. She could, there's a thin line between mm -hmm. being a good business person and being a scam. Yeah. Also, I just want to remind people, she did also scam like some everyday people. You know, and, and lots of not every, to say lots anyone of everyday people. Like it's like who deserves to get scammed, but like she she, she fucked over some like people who like. It, so it's not all fun and games. That's no. what I'm trying to say. Uh, I'm with you 100. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, we're not bringing chokers back, children. Okay. Next I don't. I, I don't. That that's on you. I think a lot of people might have different opinions. All right, Chris Rockway, you tweeted one of the weirdest things that ever happened to me was I was arrested by a guy and his name was Officer Sabata, and I was like, oh, like the bread, and he was like, I've never heard of that. Now, do you think this cop was trolling? No, I think there's a chance that means about it. You heard of bread? Yeah. My dog had Where bread. I come from, bread's called bread. <laughs> Get you some Panera, my dude. You deserve. You I had to practice saying Sabata like six times this morning. I don't I, know how to I, pronounce that I, word. I, you've noticed I've avoided saying it. Okay, <laughs> this next tweet comes from Nia Belong. You tweeted, My little sister discovered that we have different dads, and now she's trying to say we're just friends. <laughs> Kids are so Kids shady. Are so sh I, I, love it. I have two half siblings on on each side, and uh, and that's I think I relate to this yeah, tweet absolutely. A little bit like, oh, just half. Hmm. Mm. Are you are you are you being mean to me today? <laughs> I don't really know you. All right, you ready for tweet of the day? Yeah, let's do it. Tweet of the day comes from Issa. My toxic trait is how badly I want to domesticate a raccoon. <laughs> now, I didn't realize that this was a controversial point. But we both find raccoons very cute. They're adorable. I I think they're very discerning. I like that they wash their food. I like that they throw away things that they don't think are clean or helpful. <laughs> cute little hands. I just thought I we all think they're adorable. Here's the thing. I understand they're wild right, animals. Don't try to domesticate. <laughs> yeah. I want to be very clear. Yeah. Don't. But if one could, if one could. I find them from a distance. I feel that way about people. I feel that way about gorgeous. I would. Charming, cute, I, I would get a pet raccoon. If you it was would. like, if I could go to a pet store and pick one up. If it was legal, Oh my God, shots. I would love it. Yeah, yeah. I would I, love it. Again, didn't know we were breaking the internet with this opinion, but. <laughs> Let us know what you think of raccoons using <laughs> the hashtag AmToDM. All right, well, coming up, I sit down with actor Cynthia Ramamurvi from the new show, or not the show, from New Amsterdam. <laughs> We've been talking about this great hospital drama, and Next, we're going live from the district. <laughs> Welcome back. We're going live from the district with BuzzFeed News politics reporter Nitty Prakash. Nitty, good morning. Hello, good morning. Hi. Do you, do you have feelings on raccoons? Do you think they're cute? Do you think they're gross? Pretty cute, you know? I mean, as far as like little furry things go, sure. Yeah. Why not? I feel like, I feel like <laughs> if you work at BuzzFeed, maybe, you're really into, <laughs> you allow for the cuteness. I appreciate that. Well, Nitty. You do, exactly. <laughs> here's a tweet from you. The Department of Housing and Urban Development is charging Facebook with housing discrimination after an investigation into its targeted advertising tools that encourage, enable, and cause housing discrimination through the company's advertising platform. Phew. Nitty, what exactly is Facebook being accused of here? So basically they're being accused of allowing advertisers to not show their ads to certain groups of people and, you know, in a discriminatory way. So I want to read you actually a few of those groups of people who they've accused them of like letting advertisers exclude from their advertising. So it includes women in the workforce, mums of grade school kids, foreigners, Puerto Rico Islanders, People interested in parenting, accessibility, service animals, hijab, fashion, or Hispanic culture. And that's just some of them. 
Oh. That's just some of them. Now, wild. you know, it's like we're going to have to go down the rabbit hole of racism and fucked upness for a second. What would be the logic and why advertisers would want to exclude demographics? Typically, you would think, don't you want to reach as many possible customers as possible? Right. I mean, so this is people who are advertising housing, and we know that we have a history in this country of housing discrimination against, uh, you know, people of different races based on gender, based on sexual orientation, based on all of those things. So it's, it's a continuation of that. Okay, now, HUD actually filed something against uh, Facebook in, like, August of last year, if I'm remembering correctly. Why has this escalated now? Mm-hmm. Right. So that initial complaint was basically, you know, the first flag that HUD was sort of saying to Facebook, look, this is a serious issue. We need to address this. At this point, a HUD staffer told me yesterday that they feel like Facebook has not taken it seriously and has not done enough to address that. And that's why they've brought these charges now. Okay, this is such an interesting manifestation of redlining. Why is the suit, though, coming from Mm -hmm. HUD um, itself as opposed to, you know, a private individual? Um, Like, I mean, in the past, for Mm -hmm. example, I remember a black woman suing Donald Trump's father um, for similar issues in real estate discrimination. So why Mm -hmm. is this coming from HUD? So it's interesting. Facebook actually settled with a group of civil rights groups who did sue them last week. Uh, So they had a settlement last week and they said that as a result of that, they were also going to change some of their policies and start to get rid of some of those categories that allow people to discriminate. But HUD said yesterday that basically that is still not enough. And the fact that HUD is now charging them means that there's a little bit more, because it's a government agency, they have a little bit more power to kind of look behind the scenes, look behind the curtains Mm. is the phrase that they used at, um, you know, what exactly is going on and what options are being offered and how these policies are being developed and encouraged at Facebook. It's really cool to see them acting that fastly, too, that that just happened last week, you know, for the government. It seems Mm -hmm. pretty fast. Has Facebook responded to this new charge at all? They've been quite defensive over it. Um, They put out a statement saying they were very surprised and disappointed that these charges were being brought. And they've kind of said that, no, look, our policies are fine, but we're going to try and be better, is basically how they've responded to it at this point. Well, I I hate that Facebook execs are disappointed this morning. Um, Here's a tweet from BuzzFeed News reporter Dominic Holden about the public letter written by the Department of Justice's Pride staffers. Um, LGBT Justice Department staff confront Bill Barr about declining morale, discrimination, and what they call bro-y standards. Um, So this is really interesting. It's another lens into seeing what Bill Barr is like as attorney general. Uh, What problems did these staffers identify in the letter? So they said that basically that they don't feel sort of supported in their work environment, that it is a hostile environment for LGBTQ employees. And basically this group did a survey of LGBTQ employees late last year. And a lot of people said that they were either leaving the department or that they, you know, were considering leaving because the conditions were just so hostile um, for LGBTQ people there. And that, you know, that amounts to you know, anything from just the treatment from their co-workers to a lot of people uh, mentioned the FBI Academy and the kind of culture there and that broiness in particular is something that came out there apparently. Mm. Um, so it was a whole range of issues that people were talking about. Mm. Okay, so what did these kind of, you know, DOJ Pride staffers demand in their letter? So they're asking for something a little bit sort of definitive, something overt from their department to say, yes, we support you and yes, we believe that, you know, you should have equal rights here as an employee. Um, There's something called an equal opportunity um, statement that they can put out, and that was put out under Obama. Um, It hasn't been put out since uh, the Trump administration 
uh, came in. And so that is something specifically that they're asking for. But they're also, I think more than that, even they're just asking for some kind of reassurance from the department that they work for that, you know, they're not being targeted and that they won't be targeted. Mm. And Bill Barr, of course, is relatively new as attorney general because of this administration's revolving door. Has he responded uh, to these demands at all? As far as I know, he hasn't responded. Um, I think that that is the thing that these employees are saying, look, you've just come in. This is an opportunity for you to reset the tone um, and put out a statement like this. Okay, an opportunity. Well, we're not done talking about Bill Barr yet. Before we let you go, Nitty, it's been a week uh, since Robert Mueller submitted his report to Bill Barr. I know it's felt like it's been a year, um, but we did want to ask you, you know, how much closer are Congress and the general public to reading Robert Mueller's 300-page report, of which at this point we've only read four incomplete sentences? Feels like slightly further every day. <laughs> you know, like, I guess what we know at this point is that we're definitely not getting it next week. Um, it seems like at some point after that, within the next, you know, month or so maybe, but it is very vague. It it's is very unclear. Very vague. Well, Nitty, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. All right, up next, I'm talking about college basketball. I know people are really excited because of March Madness, mm -hmm. but we should also be talking about should college basketball players be paid? Mm, I'm mad all right. Welcome back. We're in the middle of March Madness and the debate over whether or not college athletes should get paid is back in center stage. Race and sports writer Karen J. Phillips joins me now to talk about it. Karen, good morning, sir. Good morning. All right, let me add, let's start with this. Let's start with a little fun. How's your bracket doing? My bracket's doing pretty well. Like, um, I always don't get flustered by the first weekend um, because that's when people can jump out the leads that may not hang on. But this weekend, Sweet 16 and Elite 8 is really where people start to separate themselves. So I'm doing pretty well so far. Haven't completely burned it. So I'm holding steady. All right, you're holding steady and then coming up on the big games. Uh, let me ask, you wrote a story comparing college sports to the college cheating scandal, which we've talked about a lot on this show. Mm -hmm. Is the NCAA just another example of the rich taking advantage of a very flawed system? Of course it is. Like when you think about what the NCAA is, um, they made over a billion dollars in revenue last year. And that's a crazy number when you think about the fact that the NCAA is listed as a nonprofit organization. So if you just think about the word nonprofit and a billion dollars, they usually don't go together, but that's what the NCAA is. And outside of all of the issues the NCAA has taken, and the public relations nightmares and hits, they just continually take over and over again for no reason. And then when you look at this scandal, it just kind of makes you shake your head at, at the thought of college, colleges and universities as a whole of this country from the point of how they're exploiting athletes and not paying them or compensating them or letting them make compensation off their likeness. And now we found out something that some of us has always believed or felt has always happened for decades and hundreds of years to where you can literally just pay to get your mediocre child in school into this some elite school um, just because you're rich instead of because of their intellect. Yeah, making a lot of people money, maybe not the right people. What's the NCAA's latest argument against paying its players? And do you think that argument holds up at all? I mean, the argument has always been the same. Um, and it, it, it's, it's always been full of holes. It always doesn't make sense. And I actually uh, did, did an interview with, with Nigel Hayes, I believe it was a year ago. He was a college star at Wisconsin. 
and now he's been overseas playing basketball and ended up in the in, in, in NBA as well. And his whole idea was, was something I've always believed in. You just let players make money off their likeness. Because if we look at the numbers and break down everything that's going on in collegiate sports, they make all of their money off football and men's basketball. And that pays for a lot of the other sports that you don't see on TV, like field hockey, like a roaring or things of that manner. So why not, if you don't just want to pay these students, why not let them get money for signing their autographs? Why not let these kids get money off their likeness? Why not when you have someone like Zion Williamson and CBS says we have a Zion cam, how come Zion doesn't get any of that money? So it's a really crazy system when you think about it, how everyone gets exploited. And yes, the kids are getting something out of this. If Zion Williamson sat out this year and he didn't play college, college basketball, he wouldn't be as popular as he was right now. But would he still be Zion Williamson? Yes. So he's getting something out of this, but he's not getting something in his banking account like everyone else is. Okay, and then let's talk about that, Cam, for a moment. All right, here's a tweet from Pop Health Guy. Maybe the NCAA can dedicate some of the $8.8 billion it gets from CBS to Zion and the student athletes fueling March Madness. So what are your thoughts? Like, you're talking about the Zion Cam right now. What are some other ways that this could contribute to, you know, these players' well-beings and their bank accounts? You just have to think about all the money that's being made and the people that are making the money that aren't getting the money. Like I pulled a couple numbers for you. First round viewership this year was up uh, and it tied a record with 2015. First round viewership for the tournament hadn't been that high since 1991. And when you think about those three years, you have three huge teams in college basketball history that were playing that year. Back in 1991, you had the UNLV squad. It was was a historic team. We had Greg Anthony, Larry Johnson, Stacey Augman, Anderson Hunt. 2015, Duke won it that year with a whole bunch of freshmen. You also had the Kentucky team that was in that tournament that had a slew of talent of freshmen and sophomores. And basically all those guys went to the NBA. Now this year you have Zion. Um, there was a tweet this morning how Duke in itself on social media has more followers than 19 of 32 NFL teams. Everybody in the NFL gets paid. Everybody at Duke does it. And Duke has even more followers than all but five teams in Major League Baseball. Again, those athletes are paid. These guys are, are playing for free. And then when you look at the average ticket prices for this weekend in the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight, average ticket prices in every other region, the South, Midwest, and the West, are between $138 and $180. Duke's region in the East, average tickets are going for $650 everybody's getting paid but the students. So like I said, again, if you don't want to cut them a check, at least let them sign autographs or get money back from T-shirts or cameras that a network has named after them. Yeah, and I agree with that 100%. And, and I am. I'm actually getting mad. Like those numbers you just said, those are infuriating numbers. How is the NCAA still getting away with this? The same way the college scandal got away with this for so long. And the thing about the NCAA is that while they have made some gradual changes, they still refuse to keep up with the times. Like this, this past year, after the first uh, FBI scandal looked into college basketball, you know, they brought together this board. They had Condoleezza Rice on there and David Robson and some other important people and made it look like they were taking this big, great stand. Oh, we're not going to have this in our sport. Well, they didn't really do much, but they did do some small incremental things that's going to help college basketball next season. We're going to see how this happens. They're going to allow 
kids to test the draft waters. And if they don't get drafted or, or necessarily be where they want to be taken in the draft, they can come back and still have their scholarship. If kids leave early, they can come back to school and get their degrees and their scholarships to still you know, be uh, merited and they can still take their classes for free. And they're also going to open up some things where this is kind of tricky, where USA Basketball is going to deem the top 20 to 30 NBA prospects and let them have representation when they go into college and let them have an agent. But deeming who is can have that and who can't is going to get a little tricky. And so this next season, next summer, next fall, this conversation is going to change a little bit because changes are coming. But I'm not necessarily sure this lets the NCAA off the hook because, again, this nonprofit is making a billion dollars. And these kids who are getting paid with a scholarship are still not necessarily being compensated or taken care of the way they should have been. When you think about the millions of dollars that are getting passed around, but a scholarship is supposed to, uh, you know, be good enough when we know it isn't. Be good enough. Real quick before I let you go, because I do, like you're saying, these are all very small steps. What would you do if you were in charge of the NCAA? What would some big steps look like in order to get these kids paid? Well, first of all, you got to like fire everybody that's in charge (laughs) because (laughs) they put these rules together. And if they didn't put these rules together, they, you know, they haven't done anything to drastically change them or rock the boat too much. But first of all, you have to let kids make money off their likeness. That's the first thing. Then you bring in all these smart people. If we're talking to NCAA, that means we're over collegiate sports and you have collegiate students. All of these smart kids at all of these smart schools. You mean to tell me no one could come up with a system to where we're paying college coaches $9 million plus at some institutions in college football and college basketball. We can't get all these smart people in the room and figure out how to get the revenue generating sports and these stars and their athletes money in their pockets when their jerseys are selling out. When you look at the TV ratings, they're the top rated uh, teams that are playing on ESPN and CBS and all these networks every year, there's a way to get it done. Now, do I necessarily know how to get it done? No, I'm not a numbers guy. I'm a words guy. But there is somebody out there who can get it done. And when you're a billion-dollar nonprofit, your job is to go out there and find those people and make sure it happens. You would fire everybody and get some smarter people in there. Karin, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. All right, let's take it to the timeline. Tell us if you think college athletes should get paid using the hashtag AM to DM. If you don't, I feel like you and I are about to have words. Up next, Saeed sits down with actor Sendil Ramamurth. They look good. <laughs> this is the sit down, and I've got Sindel Ramamurthy on the couch. We were talking about all these books that I sadly have not read behind me. I'm just going to be honest. Uh, listen, we first saw you on Heroes. You are a hero. <laughs> uh, and, and now you are, uh, you know, on New Amsterdam starring mm-hmm. there. And what's interesting is that you were just telling me during the break, you are shooting New Amsterdam during the day. I am. And then at night, you are on an off-Broadway uh, on the stage doing Hate Fuck, this yes. play. Oh, so we're allowed to say it? Yeah. Oh, oh cool. Yes. Oh, fuck, very fuck, good. Fuck, fuck, fuck. That's the first show. I've done a hate fuck. Yeah. Fuck hate. Yeah. I was like, oh yeah, we curse so much. Now listen, so hate fuck, um, you know, it's got two very smart Muslim American characters, uh, writers, translators, Mm -hmm. really talking about Islam and and sex. There's a lot of fucking. There's a lot of fucking (laughs) going on, yeah. What was your reaction when you got the script? 
Um, well, I just never read anything like that. First of all, it's a, it's a two-hander. It's just mm-hmm. the two of you just the up two on of you. stage. Uh-huh. And um, I, uh, I workshopped the, okay. the, the play um, originally, like back in November. Mm-hmm. Um, so we workshopped it. Me, just, it was just me, the director, the writer, another actress, and me. Mm-hmm. And we rehearsed it for three days, and wow. then we did like a staged reading, just okay. reading it from the script. And um, it was, I was just kind of blown away by it. And I, I thought, you know, because at that point, they hadn't, I don't even know if they decided to put it up yet. Okay. Um, and I just thought whoever gets to play this is, is a really lucky person mm-hmm. because I had just started New Amsterdam. Okay. So I didn't think that I would be able to do any, even if they did offer it mm-hmm. to me. And then they did offer it to me. I thought, I, I can't, the thought of somebody else playing this role, I, just, I can't, I oh, can't. Wow. So I just, I begged David Schulner, the creator of, of New Amsterdam, who I'd worked with on my last show, on okay. Reverie. Okay. And he was just like, go do your play, we'll make it work. Right on. And I couldn't believe it. Cool. Yeah. Well, so Hate Fuck deals with Islamophobia and, and in, in my view, the, the way people in the Muslim com- community have to kind of deal with that perception when you're just trying to live your life. Exactly. Just trying to, you know, write good books and everything with that kind of pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, was there something that the play taught you, like in the process of, of working on it? Yeah, I mean, listen, I think that I, you know, I, what I, what I identified with was being other, Mm. you know, I'm always, you you know, you're always other, especially in, in, in the acting world, you know, um, and, and, you know, in the times that we're living in right now with, with words and how they matter and Mm -hmm. what you say and what you put out there into the world matters. That's Mm -hmm. the stuff that I really identified with. And, you know, my character is being accused of of trading in these Muslim stereotypes. Mm -hmm. And like a lot of his characters are Muslim terrorists. Exactly. And so that's why they get optioned into Mm -hmm. TV series and and, and movies and and all that. And he's making a fortune. He has a very nice apartment. There's a great (laughs) mid-century kind of vibe going on in there. But, you know, how that stuff matters. But then there was also the other, the flip side where it was kind of like, well, there's a system Mm -hmm. and you can either try and game the system and get your word out there somehow, or you can try and operate outside the system and get your, your, your message out to 10 people in a, in a community college uh, conference hall. And And that's the trade-off. And that's the trade-off. So you can stick to your, to your scruples Mm -hmm. or, or you can, or you can kind of, sell out a little bit, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that the, the middle ground is what's important. Mm-hmm. And neither one of these characters kind of find the middle ground because yeah. they're both so stubborn yeah, neither that of them. they just <laughs> stay. They're like, right. I'm staying in this corner right. and I'm going to stay in this corner yeah. and there's no meeting in the Absolutely. middle. No. Absolutely. And I love that you point to the system, yes. um, the power system, because I, it, there's a conversation about casting and, and, and he says, like, listen, all these brown actors are begging me yes. to make this show about this Muslim terrorist because they just want another role. Yeah. Um, you are an actor. You've been doing great work. Um, is casting basically another version of racial profiling? Sometimes. Mm. Sometimes. Have you I had mean, experiences sad, that have been sad, like- sad to say? Yeah. But you know what? I was, yes, absolutely. Mm. You know, there are things that have been sent to me. I'm just like, I can't believe that they're mm. actually doing this, first mm. of all. Um, but B, I also... Like I, I'm an actor, and sometimes you just need to work. And I I never fault actors for taking work. Mm. I just I feel that I'm I was just really lucky that I had incredibly supportive parents who were like, do work that makes you proud, right. and 
we'll back you up, mm -hmm. meaning we'll pay the bills. Mm -hmm. uh, most actors don't have that, and I had that. So I was lucky in that sense to, uh, to be able to wait for, for the right thing to come along. Um, but yeah, no, that's, that's absolutely true. I, I think it's becoming better. You think so? You know, as, as we're moving forward, it is baby steps. You always want it to be more. You're always wanting more. I think we're moving in the right direction, but we got a long way to go. Absolutely, and yeah. you mentioned your parents. You're a parent of two kids. Yes. Um, and in the play at one point, there is what I would call, you know, a moment of sexual assault, harassment, mm -hmm. um, you know, for your co-star in the yes. play. And it's really disturbing. Mm -hmm. um, have you started to have conversations about gender politics with your kids? Uh, a little bit with my daughter now, because okay. she's, uh, she's 14. Okay. Um, and we've, we've, you know, we've, we don't shy away from that at the mm. dinner table. We just kind of talk about it because th we think it's important. And, even for, and especially for my son, too, mm. because b boys need to be taught Absolutely. this and they need to yeah. learn it at a young age. Mm. And uh, we've really made kind of a conscious effort to, mm. to, to do that and to expose them to everything and not shy away from reports of, of uh, sexual assault or harassment or, or any of that stuff. And, you know, I kind of explained it. We had an intimacy director on the, on the play, Adrian okay. Campbell Holt. Oh. Our director brought mm -hmm. in um, an intimacy because there is there is a lot of physicality, there is a, a lot, lot of, of skin, yeah, yeah a lot of skin. Um, yeah. and it was it was really important, mm. and it was so freeing for mm. me and and for Covey, the actress mm. playing um, Layla, uh, to have Judy there, and and she every single touch, mm. every single anything that could be construed as anything sexual or intimate is completely rehearsed and choreographed, mm -hmm. and before every single performance, we have an intimacy call mm. where we literally go through every single time where we touch each other mm -hmm. and just make sure everything's okay and kind of connect in that way before we start the play. That's so interesting. And just because you, your point, you're on stage and you're on TV, mm -hmm. um, how different is ne negotiating intimacy on stage as opposed to when you're on a TV set? Well, you have um, a lot more time to mm. get to the intimate part on in theater, whereas TV, it's like, we got to go. Okay. We got to go. Let's go. And that's why, like, on New Amsterdam, working with Freema Adjaman mm. has been such a joy because we immediately had this, like, connection where we just felt safe mm. and it was okay. But there have been other times where that's not the case mm. and you really want to have an intimacy director there. And that's just kind of moving into TV wow. and stuff now and, and in theater yeah. now. And so I think, uh, I think that'll pretty much be the norm very, so. very soon. Yeah. I hope so. Well, that's good to hear. And I'm yes. glad people can see you on stage and on TV on New Amsterdam. Yes, yes. Thank please you so come, much please for come out. This morning, Sindel. Thank you very much. All right, friends. Uh, New Amsterdam, of course, airs Tuesdays on NBC. And if you are in New York, Hate Fuck is playing through Sunday. Go check it out. Up next, it's time for our weekly breakdown of RuPaul's Drag Race. The library is open. Uh, Sissa G is here to act a fool again. <laughs> Thank you, Sindel. Good morning, Twitter. I own 51% of BuzzFeed, and my show starts today. Goodbye, Saeed. Oh, hey, um, welcome back. Well, the library is open, but Syzygy, I'm not sure where the hell ass she is, so I guess we're gonna... Good evening, Hayes. I'm a mountain biking witch from the future. <laughs> what the shit? Okay, hi, good morning. Welcome. Good morning. Ah, oh, Jesus, my heart. Okay, so... My heart, thank you. This fits since this week it was mm. the Monster Ball and all about scary looks. Yeah. But first, let's start by talking about how this week, this mm -hmm. episode, had a love story arc with Vanjie mm -hmm. and Brooklyn Heights. How do you feel about this? How do you feel about this first seeming oh, romance wow. on Drag Race? Wow, well, 
I'm really excited for them. I mean, I have a few theories, okay. if I may. I love a theory. Hit okay. me on a Friday. Theory one. Hit. Yes. The producers are probably going wild about this, having a romance on set. Oh my God. So, you know, it. for a fact, mm -hmm. they are going to make them lip sync against each other Ooh. eventually. Cool. There's going to be this Romeo and Juliet, but also Juliet is like a street fighter. Right. Same. Like Manila versus uh, Latrice, but with love involved. But with love. Yes. Um, and also, I have a feeling, mm -hmm. I heard a rumor that they've already broken up <gasps> post-filming. I, I have a theory mm -hmm. that they are now posting all of the photos that mm -hmm. they've taken together for like eight months, mm -hmm. and now we are reliving this relationship that's already, that's already happened. Oh, that is, it is literally the musical of the last five years. That is so meta. Yeah. Which one is the Anna Kendrick and which one is the shitty man? I don't like Anna Kendrick. <gasps> I have to quit this show immediately. How the... How do you not like... Okay, let's move on to the substance of this episode, which was, mm -hmm. this week was the ball episode of mm. Drag Race. So talk to me a little bit about how the show is inspired by ball culture. Well, obviously you hear it every episode because mm -hmm. RuPaul loves those references. Mm -hmm. um, everything is, you know, opulence. Uh, opulence. Lastly, opulence. Um, so it's really important because RuPaul was in New York at the time. That was a iconic and legendary film. But Wait, which was an iconic film? Paris is Burning. Uh, which is one that I have totally seen, and it's totally a great film that is on... I think. America, sound off on Twitter if you think Hayes <laughs> is lying and has never seen Paris. It's on my list. Okay, it's on my list. Okay. You don't put it on your list. You just, wa you just watch the film. Okay, okay. It's worth it. I'll do it it's this weekend, it. I promise. Okay, so... How do you think this ball compared to past seasons? Mm, um, trash. Really? Wow. Garbage. Yeah, it just wasn't. There, there what are many are you looking difficulties. For that made this trash. I was looking for the first two looks the contestants brought from home. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking for things that fit, <laughs> things that hit the floor, mm -hmm. things that don't look like garbage. And I feel like so many of the queens missed the mark on the first two. Mm -hmm. The second one, so many people did the same witch look. Right. But I really liked a few of them. All right. Do you want to get into like? I what do like want to get like? into a few of the ones that we like. All right. So let's start with Brooklyn Heights, who mm -hmm. won the challenge. What do you think about her looks? Um, I mean, the first two were very good. They were gorgeous. Do yeah. You, do you think she was compensating, though, for the looks with her movement? I feel like she kind of mm. ensorcelled or enchanted uh, oh, the um, judges with the way that she used her dancing skills to really, like, show them off. <laughs> I, okay. In Paris is Burning, there's a phrase about selling the garment. Yes. And Brooklyn sold those garments. She really she did. She looked incredible when she presented them. Right. They were very simple, and her third look, take it or leave it, everything yeah, was like from could, leg out. I could leave it, but you know yeah. what, compared to some of the other ones, it was fine. Yeah, it was fine. Now let's go to the ones we didn't like so much. Mm. So Silky Nutmeg and Nash had a few more critiques than usual. How do you think she did? I, I thought she did fine. I, I, really. I liked it, it was fine. The thing that pissed me off mm. was the fact that they were like, oh, we do know that that's Eveline from The Wiz. Mm. Like, yes, bitch, she talks about black cinema. She knows what it is. Right. She made the costume. Was it as intricate and as amazing as Eveline's costume? No, but... But I agree with the judges that she, her mug was wrong. She said she only paints pretty and it showed here. She could have, like, ugly herself up a little bit. Use some of the glitter she used to make look more like Eveline's warts. It's, you're right, it's a great reference and... 
but the judges don't know that she knows because she's sure. recorded her talking head by the sure, time she sure, walks sure. the stage. Uh, so I actually agreed with them on that critique, and mm. her third garment was literal garbage. Well, it you've was never seen Paris's burning, so you're trash. Uh, okay. I'm just kidding. <laughs> time to move on to some spoilers, so please, hold on to your wigs, everyone. Spoilers are ahead. Oh, wait, speaking of holding on to wigs, can we just acknowledge the fact that this is 60 inches? Jesus. Sorry. You can't even spell so frog. <laughs> I would do a turn, but I. <laughs> so in the bottom, we had Sugarcane and Ariel Versace. Mm. Do you think they deserved it? Uh, yeah. And admittedly, I would have put them all in the bottom again. <laughs> you would be the toughest judge on Drag Race history. Um, Just send them all home. But I applaud concepts, narrative, and intention. Okay. And that's why I like Silky. However, with Sugar and Ariel, mm-hmm. it just wasn't it. It wasn't. It just wasn't it. And the looks that they brought from home mm-hmm. didn't undo the fact that their final outfits were also Right. Why Ariel's decision to really like go mm-hmm. for like the pretty mermaid look, there's a mm. hundred ways. Mermaids are supposed to be fucking scary, dragging men to their deaths. That and part. the fact that they all look the same, all of her looks, which I was yeah. charmed by at first. I really liked her Instagram, lollipop, sure. glittery sort of aesthetic. Mm-hmm. But when she can't turn anything else out, I thought, mm. yeah. And Sugar, she's so recently started yeah. that I think it kind of starting to show already. It really is. You you could see it right from the get-go because mm-hmm. Suga, you can always tell when a drag queen is new based on their tights. Oh. Because when you're younger and you're just starting out, your tights are always a little bit shiny mm-hmm. until you're like, oh, I have to invest in like $20 a pair of Capizios mm-hmm. and spend $200 for a week's worth. Right. That's how you can really, really tell. And I think it's starting to catch up with Suga. Mm-hmm. So let's get into the lip sync. Uh, what the hell happened here? Uh, I felt so bad when Ariel took a tumble because that's just that's just always rough. <sighs> I feel bad too because looking at the lip sync, mm-hmm. I would have sent them both home. I, a double elimination yeah. was on my mind until the fall happened. <sighs> the downside though is that even though Ariel did fall, she got back up really fast. Mm. She played out off she really did. well. She did. Applause yeah. for Ariel Versace for doing that. That you was You go, great. girl. And lip sync wise, she lip synced. Mm-hmm. Like I felt the intonation and I felt the movement in her face with Sugar. It was just her doing like the same like. Ooh. It was really uncomfortable. Yeah. That was me dancing. I would be sent home <laughs> at this point. Let's get that out of the way. Well, unfortunately for Ariel, her fall was the most exciting part of the lip sync, and she yeah. did get sent home. Do you think that was the right call at this point? Another one bites the dust. I do. I I think it's weird. I'm going to consider Ariel a New York queen just because of proximity. Mm. Um, it's weird because this is the first season where we're having a lot fewer New York queens. Mm. And this is also going to be the first season since season eight where a New York queen does not win. Wow, that's a I good I do point. not think that the rest of the New York girls... Well, there's the prediction. So Ariel and Sugar lip sync to Whitney Houston's I'm Your Baby Tonight, mm. which prompted the official Drag Race account to ask for new song suggestions. So let's take this to the timeline. What songs do you think Drag Race can add to the lip sync playlist for next season? Dig deep and let us know using the hashtag am to dm How about you, really quickly? Any, do you have a suggestion? Uh, a suggestion? Um, uh, uh, I don't know, buy my new single on iTunes. Oh, I don't have one, but if I did, <laughs> this is good when practice, you buy it. Good practice for thank promo. You. All right, Syzygy, as always, thank you for joining me. The library Aww. is now closed. More AM to DM is up next. Bye. Bye. All those effects.
<laughs> Those effects are budgets. It's just yeah, magic. Yeah, we did up the budget for Sister Jean. That, yeah. I mean. I get it. In Sister G's Rider, that we do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. We stand a queen. Well, Mousicore is not a fan of Anna Delvey's courtroom look. Mm. Uh, you tweeted, I mean, Upper East Side widow on her way to the funeral of her second husband who died under strange circumstances is not what I call a good courtroom look. Ooh. It depends what you've been charged with. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good point. But yeah, also, there are rules in court. You know, you can't just like, it's not like you could just come out in a gown, you know. Or maybe God. you could. Well, could you be, like, charged with, like, you know what's interesting? I know, like, I, there are notorious photos. I would call them iconic photos now of uh, Naomi Campbell, mm. like, on her way to community service, mm. like, in a, like, a Versace gown mm. and everything. Mm. But that was after she was sentenced. I don't know what she was dressed like during court proceedings. Yeah, I just want to know how, how you get in the business. Like, how you get in the business of being a courtroom stylist. <laughs> there are so many things I could say. Lizette had this to say about our tweet of the day. I had a neighbor who actually domesticated a raccoon. Oh. I would see him hang out by the window. Seems pretty chill. But animal control put a stop to that after a few months. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. No, that makes me sad. But when you're breaking up a happy home, <laughs> you let that raccoon go. He, he was fine, or she was fine. God damn it. You know he's mad because Isaac's voice went up. Yeah, that, uh, that's, that's the injustice. Hey. Uh, we call that the injustice octave. <laughs> <laughs> I have it too. I have it too. It's like, I don't think you better let that go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, <laughs> okay. Uh, we- <laughs> We wanted to know, would you have the bravery to perform a lip sync in front of Scissor G? Or Beyonce <laughs> in front of Beyonce. Uh, Maria says, that's why I love Sanji. Uh, when she said she was a professional, which is a really good single, who came to work, she was not kidding. Uh, you know Beyonce was making sure the steps were right. Yeah, like this is, Shangela is such a hard mm. worker. You know her mentor is uh, Jennifer Lewis. So like, really? They've known each other for a very, very long time. Wow. Like, since, like, Shangela's got her start. Like, that's why I was just like, this, to me, just feels, like, absolutely assured. You know? Yeah, I yeah. love it. I love I it. I really like what you said. Justice for Shangela. Yes. We now have it. We have it. Queen by so ex- I'm so excited what she does next. Oh, my yeah, God. absolutely. Well, listen, thank you to our guests, Shannon Keating, Needy Prakash, Karen Phillips, Hayes Brown, Syzygy, of course, and Sendo Rama Murphy. And we are so excited about some of our guests next week. Well, all of our guests. Oops. Okay. Matthew Gray. Goobler, Sanaa Latham, what? Anna Clumsy, and Serena Williams. Hang on a second. Serena Who? Williams. Really? Yes. On the show? I'm interviewing Serena Williams. Next week? I think so. <laughs> Wait, you're interviewing Serena? <laughs> Wait, hold, wait, I'm coming. Hold on. <laughs> they did not tell us they were doing this. Hang on. <laughs> She's coming over. I'm watching you run over here. Hello. Hi, I'm Saeed Jones. Ready to interview Serena. <laughs> we will be back here Monday morning at 10 a.m. Have a great rest of your day. Have a Enjoy great your week.